Good morning, everyone. Scripture reading today is Isaiah chapter 11, verses 1 to 10. A shoot will come up from the stump of Jesse. From his roots, a branch will bear fruit. The spirit of the Lord will rest on him, the spirit of wisdom and of understanding, the spirit of counsel and of might, the spirit of knowledge and the fear of the Lord. And he will delight in the fear of the Lord. He will not judge by what he sees with his eyes or decide by what he hears with his ears. But with righteousness, he will judge the needy. With justice, he will give decisions for the poor of the earth. He will strike the earth with the rod of his mouth. With the breath of his lips, he will slay the wicked. Righteousness will be his belt and faithfulness the sash around his waist. The wolf will live with the lamb. The leopard will lie down with the goat, the calf and the lion and the yearling together, and a little child will lead them. The cow will feed with the bear, and their young will lie down together. The lion will eat straw like the ox. The infant will play near the cobra's den, and the young child will put its hand into the viper's nest. They will neither harm nor destroy. On all my holy mountain... For the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. In that day, the root of Jesse will stand as a banner for the peoples. The nations will rally to him, and his resting place will be glorious. What would you say if I said to you that in the United States, since 2008 to 2019, there were 1,509 cases of judges who were disciplined or they retired or, or resigned due to some kind of misconduct? What would you say if I said to you there were another 3,613 cases during that same period where judges were disciplined but we're done behind the scenes with no names and no details of such cases. What, what would you say if I said to you nine out of these ten judges were allowed to return to the bench after they were sanctioned for misconduct? Maybe you would say, that's just not right. It's not right when a judge is corrupt. It's not right when a judge uses their power to exploit the system it's not right when a judge is biased in their decisions where they put poor people in jail longer for a traffic ticket than for someone who commits manslaughter. For instance, there's a woman named Marquita Johnson who couldn't afford to pay traffic fines that accumulated over eight years. Judge Les Hayes sentenced her to more than a year in jail. Her daughters were cast into foster care. One was physically abused court record show, and another was molested. That's just not right. And we say that, don't we? We shake our heads at all the injustices in the world, all the corrupt judges and politicians, where it feels like there's no one, there's, there's no point of even voting anymore, because there's no one who seems to be good. I mean, it's easier to believe 
that a politician is corrupt than for a politician to, politician to be righteous. A righteous politician. Think about that. Those words just don't seem to even go together. The words righteous and politician. Why should we care about justice when our judges aren't just? Why should we care about being righteous when our politicians are not? It just feels as though we are sowing seeds in the dust. That's just not right. Just and right. These two words go together like peas and carrots. In the Old, Test in the Old Testament, these two words go together over and over again. Justice and righteousness. And we see these two words paired together in our passage today. Look with me in verse 4. But with righteousness he will judge the needy. With justice he will give decisions for the poor of the earth. Here we see the prophet Isaiah speaking about the character of this person who will be coming. This person will be different than those who have come before him. And this Messiah will be a righteous king who will judge with justice. In the chapter just before this passage, Isaiah prophesied that Assyria will be cut down to a stump and will be no more. Here we see, though, that the prophet speaks about the stump of Jesse, who was the father of King David. And the stump of Jesse represents the Davidic kingdom um, that, like Assyria, has also been a failure. It has been cut down to a stump and is no more. Some commentators think that they, it, the, Isaiah mentions Jesse instead of David to downplay how much this kingdom have, has fallen. However, unlike the Assyrians, God will raise up a new shoot, a new life that will bring about a branch that will be different than what was before. This branch will bear fruit as the Spirit of the Lord will rest on this person, the spirit of wisdom, of understanding, spirit of counsel and might, the spirit of knowledge, and the fear of the Lord. This new king, unlike the kings of Israel, will not judge with eyes or with what they hear from others. This king won't be influenced by those who whisper in his ears as if he needed counsel. He will rule as God would have a king rule. He will rule in a different way. When Samuel was the leader of Israel as a judge, the people of Israel wanted a king like the other nations. And Saul, remember, was appointed as the first king of Israel. But after he had failed, Samuel was tasked by God to go and find the next new king. He went to the house of Jesse in search of this new king of Israel. And when he got there, he saw the eldest brother, the eldest son of Jesse named Eliab. And he thought to himself, this guy, he's the king. First of all, he was, I'm sure, pretty handsome he was tall and a perfect candidate to be the new king. And listen to what God says to Samuel in 1 Samuel 16:7. But the Lord said to Samuel, Do not consider his appearance or his height, for I have rejected him. The Lord does not look at the things people look at. People look at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. God was able to see beyond what Samuel considered to be kingly. Instead of looking at his outward appearance, the Lord looks at the heart. And I think this could be why Isaiah mentions the stump of Jesse. 
Just as God did not look at the outward appearance as people do, here the new king, this new savior of Israel, will judge and rule, not according to what he sees or what he hears, what people say about this person, but rather as someone who is filled with the Spirit of God. He will be able to judge based on the hearts of people. This is important because unlike the leaders and kings of the past, this new leader, this new king, will be a different kind of king. As I mentioned before earlier, uh, earlier, justice and righteousness in the Old Testament go together like peas and carrots. And I think it's important for us to take the time to explain what these two words mean from a biblical perspective. Justice and righteousness cannot be separated, but are part of the same coin. And this understanding that I'm referring to is from a book called The Justice Calling. And in the book, they talk about how the word justice in Hebrew is the word mishpat, which means setting things right. When God's original intention of shalom, or that is peace, is broken, and when that shalom needs to be restored, Mishpat is used as a way to talk about justice, about making things right. So justice isn't just about punishing the offender or making sure they get their due punishment, but rather is about the bringing about the restoration, restoration and setting things right of the one who was offended. So justice can include consequences and punishment for the offender, but it's more than that to having what was set wrong, set right. And this would go beyond the one who was offended to the offender. It's not just about punishment, about, but rather about restoration. So how do you bring about restoring the offender who also caused the offense? How can that person be made right? The word for righteousness in Hebrew refers more to the behavior that is called for, called for between people or, pe- or between people and God. Being righteous does not just mean being morally good, but rather being good for the other. It is relational in that it is the kind of behavior and posture we have towards God and others that makes us righteous. The difference between justice and righteousness is that justice is more about what needs to be done to restore a situation, whereas righteousness is what is desired for all people. We want all people to have a life of flourishing, of right relationships with God and people, and this is accomplished through justice. In the Bible, as mentioned, the concept of justice and righteousness is based on relationships. It's not just about what is right or wrong, but rather justice and righteousness is about how one's actions impact the harmony and equity of the community. Once upon a time, there was a woman who married a man. The husband died, and as part of the custom of that day, the husband's brother would have had to sire a a child for for her. But this brother decided that he didn't want to. See, if the widow was to have a child, she would continue the line of her dead husband and would inherit his portion of the inheritance. If she didn't have a child, the, the line would die and there would be more inheritance left for the other remaining brothers. So instead of receiving one fourth of the inheritance, 
this brother could possibly receive two-thirds of the inheritance because the oldest always got double portion. So out of his greed, he decides not to have a child with this widow. And this brother also ends up dying. Now the father of this brother, the first husband is, and, and the first husband, is worried that this woman will kill his other son. As, as, and, you know, that's where you, I think you get the term black widow. And so tells her to wait until his youngest son is old enough to marry, but with no intention of, of ever letting her do so. He tells her to go, go back to your father's house and wait there until my son is old enough. And in, the, in those days, a woman's place in society was tied to their ability to bear a child and produce an heir. The heir would guarantee the succession of the family line and therefore gave women a place of security, worth, and value. In this case, the father of the dead brothers could have let her go where she would be free to remarry. Yet he does not let her go, but sends her off to her, her, her father's house where she cannot remarry and needs to stay chaste and is in the state of limbo and mostly, most likely in shame. And it says in the story, much later, this widow decides to pretend to be a prostitute and goes and sleeps with the father-in-law so that she can heir a son. And as a form of payment, the father-in-law gives his family seal to her and says, I will later on pay you back. In the story, we find out she gets pregnant and has twins. Three months later, the father-in-law hears about the, her daughter-in-law getting pregnant and demands that she be burned to death for being a prostitute. This woman, whose name is Tamar, as you may know from the story, gives her, fa her father-in-law, Judah, the family seal and says, this is the person who got me pregnant, which was you, Judah. And listen to what Judah says in response to Tamar. Genesis 38, 26. Judah recognized them, that's the seal, and said, She is more righteous than I, since I wouldn't give her to my son Shalah. There was great injustice that was being done to Tamar in this story, where the different, for, for different selfish reasons, Judah and his sons would not do what was right for Tamar. Tamar showed much bravery in a time where women could have been stoned to death and had no power and did what she could to bring about what was right for her, but also what was right for the community. The right thing to do was for Judah and his sons to provide a child for Tamar so that she would continue to flourish and live as she should. This was taken away from her, and Tamar did something that was more righteous than Judah. But in our eyes, right, hearing that story, in our Christian moral righteousness of our ways, we would say, Tamar, how can you do that? You were a prostitute or you pretended to be a prostitute and you slept with Judah? That's not right. But here, she is called righteous. Isaiah 11:4. But with righteousness, he will judge the needy. With justice, he will give decisions for the poor of the earth. What does righteousness and human flourishing look like when judging the needy? What does justice look like when God makes decisions for the poor? I see the needy being judged because they must have stolen something, right? Like they're in court being judged because they must have done something wrong. 
and are now being accused by the person who he stole or she stole from that justice must be served. Here we see this Messiah siding with the poor and the needy in their judgment. Just as Judah declared Tamar as more righteous, God is with the poor and the needy and will give them judgment that is right and good for them. Like, think about it. If this poor person, this needy person is in court for judgment, it's because that person would have stolen, stolen something. And in the human court system, this poor person would face justice. Payment back for what was stolen and perhaps a loss of limb or, or jail time. Yet I could see God siding with the poor where he would accuse the rich. The prosecution and the system that has caused this needy person to steal. What is right for this poor person is for those who have, shared, who have enough to share so that he or she who is needy doesn't need to steal. What is right and just for this person and for the community is to provide aid and support so that he or she can come out of poverty instead of judging the poor for their desperation to steal. Instead of blaming the needy for their neediness, it seems to me that God has a different judgment and a different kind of justice for the poor of the earth. What we consider righteous and just is not what God considers righteous righteous and just. And what I love about the story of Tamar is that Tamar is the first woman mentioned in the genealogy of Jesus in Matthew chapter 1. Tamar is part of Jesus' genealogy to, to almost say that God is maybe with the poor and the widow and the needy, that God is for the orphans, the disadvantaged, those who we, who we would consider not right, not just, not us, are the very people God is with and is for and will side with. In Deuteronomy 10, this is the second time Moses has received the Ten Commandments from God. And as part of this time of sharing what God has brought to his people, listen to what Moses says to his people as part of the Ten Commandments. He says in verse 17, For the Lord your God is the God of gods and Lord of lords, the great God, mighty and awesome, who shows no partiality and accepts no bribes. Not like earthly judges or kings. He defends the cause of the fatherless and the widow, loves the foreigner residing among you, giving them food and clothing. And you are to love those who are foreigners, for you yourselves were foreigners in Egypt. Do you see what Moses says about God here? God is not someone who takes bribes or shows any kind of favoritism based on maybe the station of life or someone's, uh, uh, someone's wealth. He's not like these other kings or gods of the earth that may be impressed by such things. Rather, he is a God who is a, who is a God of gods and the Lord of lords. And what does he do? He defends the cause of the fatherless and the widow and loves the foreigner residing among you. What? Like, I don't remember ever hearing that God loves the foreigner. Like, I, I remember hearing about how God cares for the widow and the orphans, but God loves the foreigner? Oh. I mean, of course he does, but it's in the Bible. We're called to love the foreigner, people who are different than us, who are coming into our countries, who are not like us. He loves and cares for the foreigner who may also be in need and may be poor. 
And because this is the kind of God he is, he wants us to also love those who are foreigners and those who are in need. Again, Isaiah speaks about this new king, this new Messiah, who will be different than those who have come before. He will not only be someone who fears the Lord and is filled with the Holy Spirit. This perfect judge will be for the needy and the poor. He will bring about such justice and righteousness that those who used to be helpless and innocent do not need to fear and can be at ease with those who would normally devour them. Verse 6, the wolf will lie with the lamb, the leopard will lie down with the goat, the calf and the lion and the yearling together, and a little child will lead them. The cow will feed with the bear, their young will lie down together, and the lion will eat straw like the ox. The infant will play near the cobra's den, the young child will put his hand into the viper's nest. The wolf that used to devour will live with the lamb and the leopard with the goat. Those who used to destroy and harm will now live in peace. Verse 9, they will neither harm nor destroy on my holy mountain. For the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the Lord as the water covers the seas. They will neither harm nor destroy. Why? Because the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the Lord. That is when the world will know God, a God of love who is just and righteous. As you and I continue to grow in our relationship with God who loves in Jesus Christ, the more we will, the more we will neither harm nor destroy because we will become more like the God we know. A God who is for the poor, who defends their cause, who is with them in their suffering who is an incorruptible judge that will side with the poor and the needy. And this is why we keep sowing seeds of justice and righteousness in the dust, because God is the one who is just and righteous. And just as he was able to form and bring life out of dust, our God of gods and Lord of lords will breathe his life into our seeds of justice. There's a group called International Justice Mission, and it's an organization that works to free modern-day modern slavery, including those who are being trafficked. This organization faces challenges that feel like they're just sowing seeds in the dust, yet they persevere and work hard to bring about justice. One story that I read in this book sticks out to me is the story of Mala, who was working at a brothel but was also working with IJM to save her own life, but also to bring, to bring the owner of this brothel to justice. And those who were working uh, in IJM had been building up a case and, and, and dividend, it says dividend, that's not right, building up a case and trying to defend uh, or have enough uh, evidence right, uh, of this trafficking and worked with the law enforcement to arrest this brothel owner. They planned for months and got ready to raid the brothel, but got tipped off by someone in the police force. They would try and try again, and over seven times in six months, they tried, and again, someone would tip them off. Yet, they did not give up, continued to pray, and sought to sow seeds of justice. Finally, after eight tries, pleading and working with the authorities that this is the right thing to do, they were able to arrest the owner. 
There's a lot more to the story of keeping this owner in jail, because that's another hard thing to do, and getting a conviction of this owner. But what is important about this story is that it was the start of something bigger than what IJM had imagined. Because they needed one example within the system where people are willing to do the right thing and to bring about justice. This one conviction caused more and more brothel owners to be arrested and convicted, giving hope to even those within a corrupt system that justice and righteousness can prevail. We all know when something is not right or just. It's because we are made in the image of God, who is just and right. And therefore, we can feel intuitively when something is not. Yet we know our own understanding of justice and righteousness can be skewed and and even be selfish. This is why I think the first step of living into justice is not to do justice, but to seek Jesus It is when we know the Lord and what he considers to be just and right that we can be the hands and feet of Jesus. IJM has a phrase that they use when when they do just uh, things. They call it prayerless striving. They recognize that it's only when people see God and lean on him that we can walk and step with him. It is not just by doing our own thing, when we feel like we see injustice and we just go and try to find justice, but rather first stopping, stepping back, seeing the whole system, seeing what God is doing and joining him in it. I still remember the time when I decided to stop buying regular bananas. And I think I've told you this story before. We, I did a sermon way back where, where I decided I'm going to stop eating regular bananas. I'm going to buy equitable, just bananas. And the problem was I couldn't get them at Costco. So I had to go to Longo's. And the thing was I committed to do, doing that. But at the same time, just to go to Longo's to buy $7 bananas was a challenge. So I would do so when I can and when it was on the way. But if... Someday I was too tired and I was at Costco and it was a buck 29 for a, a, you know, a bundle of bananas. I would just get it. But I would try. I make the effort when I can to go and get equitable um, bananas. And then one day, guess what happened? Costco started selling equitable bananas. And I was like, oh my goodness. It's all the buying of Longo's bananas by me that is, that is caused <laughs> that has caused Costco to start selling equitable bananas. No, obviously it wasn't, right? But it gave me hope. Why Costco will sell equitable bananas? And they weren't $8, which is kind of, I guess, nice. It was more like $4, which made it, I'm like, I could pay $4 for just bananas, Right? And I don't even need to go to a different place. I could just go to Costco. What I'm saying in that story is that we can even make a small decision even in our shopping choices. That even when the system feels rigged, when things seem like, what's the point? That when we keep sowing seeds of justice and righteousness, 
it gives us enough hope and examples where God can use it to bring about cheap, equitable bananas at Costco. But let me just end with this, seriously. We are called to be people who live for justice and righteousness because the God we worship is just and right. We do so as we seek Him and continue to grow in our relationship with Him. And as we do so together in community, caring for the poor and the poor in spirit, we will be part of creating a world that Isaiah speaks about. In that day, the root of Jesse will stand as a banner for the people's The nations will rally to him, and his resting place will be glorious. And to that end, Christ will make all things just right. Let's pray. Jesus, we thank you that you are a God of justice, and that your view of justice and righteousness is more than what we can ever imagine. And we thank you that you've come to show us what that looks like, that you've come to set the oppressed free, that you are for the widows, the orphans, the fatherless, the the ones who are in need. And so Jesus, help us to seek you. As we seek you, help us to be aware of your incredible justice and righteousness and love for those who are suffering. And may we continue to sow seeds of justice and righteousness because you are a God who brings life out of the dust. And so we trust in you and do so out of your faithfulness and having hope that you call us into that. So thank you, and we offer all of our deeds and actions to you, trusting that you will make things all glorious. In Jesus' name, amen.